miss the show, no worries. We've got you covered on point on the podcast. A game of shinny on a Calgary pond gets a 21-year-old charged and almost tased as he's held to the ground by cops for six minutes. Are we in Canada or China now? If the strategy is waiting for the vaccines to get past this whole COVID crisis and lockdowns apparently the only tool in the toolbox, we are literally doomed. And just who will get hit the hardest with this new carbon tax? Well, it would be single moms, seniors, and the middle class. Why is no one talking about this? We will. Let's get talking. Make no mistake, thousands of lives are at stake right now. If we fail to take action now, the consequences could be catastrophic. And as Premier, it's my duty to act. As Premier, it falls on me to make the difficult but necessary decisions. There you go. The situation's so dire that we have to act now, and we are now going to lock down in five days. Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, December 21st. I think a lot of folks are on a holiday. I hope at least it's a holiday, some kind of break, but uh, kids are off, and uh, we learn that pretty much this Christmas is going to be about one of the suckiest we've had in our lifetimes. It is just going to not be a good one. Um, Lots of board games, lots of uh, TV, lots of... uh, We could go to Costco and play with the kids because there's not going to be anything else to do. But uh, yeah, as you've been hearing, we're going into another nonsensical shutdown that will just take a wrecking ball to what could and really should have been solved with targeted precision months ago. And so, yes, as you've been hearing throughout the day, 28 days of lockdown starting Boxing Day. I don't know why we're waiting until then, if we're told the situation's so dire now. But the Premier justifies it, you know, that restaurants and businesses can then sell off as much stock now and lose less money. But, you know, modeling today shows that the longer we wait, we risk thousands of more cases. We also know that it will give anyone who wants to kind of sneak in a visit with the family and friends kind of that nod that, hey, it's okay. But I don't, you know, nothing of really what the experts are doing makes sense to me right now. I mean, yes, it may slow spread, but it's not going to stop this thing. And, and it doesn't target the real problems. I mean, why are we shutting down North Bay and Timmins where cases don't exist? Why should they? Why should small businesses there be needlessly punished, you know? We know where the problems are and what needs to happen, and yet those in charge insist on using this slamhead, this this sledgehammer approach that hurts everybody instead of putting in the tools needed to actually stop spread. Because we talked about it on Friday a little bit, or I did. You know, we learned that Amazon warehouses in Peel had more than 400 cases. And then over the weekend, I was reading in the Star that 7,600 workers have contracted COVID-19 on the job. And they've done 31,000 workplace study inspection, safety inspections and only issued two fines. Well, that's a system that uh, clearly is working. And according to the Ontario Health Coalition workplace, outbreaks are um, spreading 
far outpacing spread in the general public for those working in these industrial settings. And so what do the experts do? Well, they lock us all indoors and then they destroy small businesses, cancel Christmas and shut the whole province down. Why don't these medical experts, why don't any of them ever zero in on these industrial workplaces that are clearly a big driver of COVID transmission? Even Patrick Brown came on the show on Friday, it was, saying he knows the source of infection, but yet his hands are tied as to what they can do. I mean, why don't we ever see the health experts zero in on the millions of essential workers that have been coming in and out of this country, flooding into areas like Peel Region with no testing, no aggressive tracing, not even a hotel for workers to quarantine? It is not their fault. But why is this still happening? Where's the outrage from guys like John Tory or Dr. Davila? Why aren't they raising holy hell about this? Because, yes, it's federal jurisdiction, but never do we hear on any level of government other than today, why do we never hear anyone asking the Trudeau government why they are not doing their part in securing the borders? And Doug Ford made it very clear today that they've been asking the feds for months, tighten up borders. And for whatever reason, the Trudeau government's dragging its feet. I mean, last week alone, just in one week, 64,000 international travelers came into Canada completely unchecked. I mean, why? They may not be the huge driver of spread, but even one case, we don't need. That's how the whole damn thing started. What instead we get is this useless honor system quarantine plan. But why, nine months into this thing, does the premier even have to ask that this be fixed? As the Prime Minister's favourite saying is, there's a hole in the roof. Well, Prime Minister, I can tell you, at Pearson International Airport, there is no roof. It's coming pouring in. It's coming pouring in. There is no roof. No checks, no nothing. Go enjoy yourself. And let's hope that you quarantine for 14 days that I know 100% of the people are not listening. What on earth is Bill Blair doing? Patty Haidu, Mark Garneau, Justin Trudeau. What are they waiting for? I do not understand. This is months in and we don't even have a proper checking system in place to make sure that those who come in get properly checked or pop properly quarantined. It makes absolutely no sense. Even this latest ban on travel from the UK makes no sense. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very glad the Trudeau government actually got off its ass this time to respond to this new COVID thread. But then you read it's only for 72 hours. Oh, yes, I'm sure the germs will just wait for that 72 hours before they skip on in. But then you read that the cases of this super COVID spreader are reported in South Africa, Italy, Denmark, Australia, are they also going to face travel bans or should we just let them on in and ask them to quarantine? Please quarantine, will you? And forgive me for asking, but why the hell didn't the Trudeau government act this swiftly back in January when COVID was actually just starting in China? Because remember then, anyone questioning why we were allowing thousands of flights from the hot zones in Wuhan and in China, we were called racists. I mean, imagine where we might be today had the Trudeau government taken actual action on border control instead of virtue signaling. I mean, sorry, but if we are all going to be locked down and now there's this new COVID strain threat, 
Why isn't international travel being banned for 28 days? Why? Why would we, why are you coming here? I mean, if you're Canadian, you're coming home. That's one thing, but what are you doing coming here? There's no tourist attractions you can see. You can't go skiing because it's closed. What are you going to do? Walk around Queen Street? What are you doing in business that you can't Zoom? But it seems crazy to me that we would even risk this new strain coming in. And why should we have to lock down if our, you know, spaghetti strainer borders are going to allow any kind of spread? How are we supposed to solve community spread if we don't get to the main sources of this spread? And no, in no way does that mean that we can stop these essential workers from going back and forth because without them, we don't survive. They are essential to our food supply chains. But then these experts who make a whole schwack of money should be raising holy hell over the fact that for nine and a half months, nine months, the Trudeau government has been absolutely non-existent on putting the tools in place for extra protection, be it rapid testing, quarantine measures of putting hotels there so that these workers can go and stay somewhere and make sure their families are safe or keep the community spread safe, or tracing. My golly, wouldn't that have been a good idea to maybe take down a name or two? Where were you? Oh, you're in uh, Florida. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, lots of cases there. Uh, have a good day. No names, no nothing. So then they come into Peel region, the GTA, and then maybe cases get spread around, but that's okay. It doesn't make any sense. And that's why people are pushing back against these draconian lockdowns because they aren't working. It punishes all the people and places, places wrongly. And frankly, if we are intent on destroying ourselves, what I don't understand is why we're not just go it, just go for it. All or nothing. Just do the proper shutdown. Because I'll put money on it right now, and I got none. But I will put my last dollar that in 28 days, COVID cases will still be soaring. We will have destroyed many born businesses needlessly. We will cause needless angst for millions of students, kids, and we will kill many more forced into isolation because we are putting these stupid, ill-thought half measures that come too little and we are not serious about going in and targeting what needs to be stopped. What are you doing? Yeah, like videotape. Hey, videotape. what are you doing? What are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? Like, why, are you, why are you What are you doing? Me? Why are you guys grabbing me? Like, why are you guys grabbing me? What are you whoa, doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. 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 Hey, oh, orcs, orcs, orcs. Not pulling. Okay. Oh, she's get on the oh. ground. Oh, she's get on the ground. Why are you right Get on the ground. Right now. Ocean. Guys, Ocean. 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 Ocean.
So that sound you are hearing is a 21-year-old Calgary man having a taser aimed at him and then being taken down by two police officers who held him down for about six minutes at an outdoor rink in Calgary last Thursday. And this was after he questioned and refused to get off the ice where he and a group of buddies were playing a game of shinny. I got to be honest, I had to watch it a couple of times because I couldn't believe what I was watching and whether or not it was happening in Canada or China. And the 21-year-old is a former minor hockey league player, and he now faces some pretty serious criminal charges, including charges of obstruction of an officer and resisting arrest. And while he may have used uh, bad judgment and probably should have just gotten off the ice, I don't understand why it had to escalate to this level. I want to bring in Christine Van Gein, litigation director at the Canadian Constitution Foundation, because, Christine, when I saw this video, I sent it to you and said, like, what is going on here? Because it's not a good look. No, I was shocked when I saw it. It's a pretty horrible, horrible video. And, you know, police are trained specifically to de-escalate situations. And instead of de-escalating this situation, they escalated it, you know, pointing a taser at him the way they did. And, you know, he he used the kind of language you shouldn't use to to police officer. And he did end up resisting arrest, which is uh, was not a good decision on his part. But the the fact of the matter is he asked why what am i being charged with and that's a legitimate question that he can ask he did need to provide them with his identity and he refused to do that but he's completely within his rights to ask what am i being charged with and the refusal of the the police to answer that question is is insane um and i think the reason is because it sounds insane to say for playing hockey, we're charging you with playing hockey outside, which, by the way, is completely allowed under the rules in Alberta. So this whole situation should not have happened. Yeah, I should add to it. It's not just Canada. This happened in Alberta, which shocks me even more. And, and while, you know, there's, there's um, you know, naughtiness on both sides. I mean, I, first of all, don't swear at officers, but he's a 21-year-old kid who, you know, the swearing didn't help. But these two officers should have had more restraint. Since when are we pointing a taser, which, by the way, looked very much like a real gun, and had someone been coming from a distance, this thing could have added, you know, ended very, very badly. It was also happening in front of a number of younger children who were at a nearby skate bike board park and witnessing that. So there was that. Then they hold him down on the ground for six minutes. Then, you know, they cut off his skates, which is very un-Canadian, but I, I get it. They, I guess they can be used as a weapon. But, you know, this kid, and I've had a chance to chat with him, he's not a bad kid. He was raised by a, a, a mother who is hearing impaired. He's got three, uh, you know, brothers and sisters, all of them very talented in the hockey world. I don't get the sense that he's a bad kid. I get the sense, Christine, that he, like so many others, are trying trying to figure out what can I and can I not do? Because playing outside game of shinny is something we should be at least allowing people to do. Well, I think that that's part of the problem with these rules is that a lot of people are confused about what they can and can't do. And in fact, the rules say that you can play hockey outside at outdoor rinks or or not that you can play hockey, but you can skate at outdoor rinks, but you're uh, asked not to play hockey and that you can have 40 people out of rank, and I think that that's the limit. Um, and it looked like there were 40 at this rink, which is why bylaw showed up, and then ultimately the police. But the question is, why did the police need to use the amount of force that they did? Um, you know, the guy was on skates. And they were also swearing, on- you should point out, which is not a good look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So the, the kid was on skates. He was on the ice. 
He's not going anywhere. He, what he's going to he's going to walk off into the snow wearing his skates, of course not. So all they needed to do to de-escalate this situation was have a little bit of patience and putting that above their own, you know, police ego about uh, involved in, in you know getting 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 it in on this guy. So um, I, I have sympathy for this for this kid. He's young. He he used some bad judgment. You should never resist arrest when when you're being arrested, which he ultimately was, and and appears that he did resist. Um, he used bad judgment, but the thing is that the, this situation should never have occurred. I mean, we shouldn't have the rules that restrict skating in such a kind of confusing manner, uh, let alone police enforcing it in this kind of arbitrary and inappropriate and excessive way. I mean, I, I, I know the laws pretty well, and I'm a heck of a lot older than this young man. I have to be honest, if I were pulled over for, let's say, uh, you know, maybe skiing down a hill or whatever, I think I would have trouble, um, you know, questioning what is going on here too. I mean, if the automatic is to get aggressive and go after people, I mean, we do have a right to question, what am I being arrested for? What is it that I have done? But if the automatic by the officer is just to come over and start coming at you, it can be very confusing as to what are your rights um, and what do you have to do once a police says, police officer says, like, what are, you know, you're under arrest. Okay. What, what should people do then? Because there are going to be a whole lot of people, as you well know, now that we're in lockdown mode, who are going to go cross country skiing in Ontario, who are going to go tobogganing, who might, uh, I don't know, go outside to try to burn some, some energy from their kids. And I think a lot of people will get caught in this saying, like, what have I done wrong? Only to find themselves, uh, you know, charged by some overzealous cop. Well, I mean, the rules across Canada on, on these lockdown measures are so confusing that the, the premier of British Columbia was himself confused. He said that he was going to have uh, dinner with, with, his, uh, with his family, who he doesn't live with. And then he said, and that's within the rules. But then I guess he had a conversation with his, uh, his public health officials. And, and if, uh, shortly after, he said, I changed my mind. I'm not going to do that. And it's not within and we saw the rules. We saw Premier Ford do that as well. I think it was uh, either Mother's Day or Thanksgiving, and he came back and said, oh, no, I won't do that. We've also seen, though, federal officials break the rules. We saw Justin Trudeau cross Quebec-Ontario borders during Easter after telling us not to. We know Patty Hyde went flying all over the place back and forth 11 times to uh, Thunder Bay when she told people not to. So there are very much two different sets of rules, and there are those in leadership who don't lead uh, and expect the rest of us to. Yeah, I mean, if if the if the people enacting the laws don't understand the laws, how do you expect some twenty one year old kid who's playing hockey to understand it and be able to keep up? I mean, I'm a, I'm a lawyer who works on these issues and I can barely keep up with it. It's completely in, insane the ex, the the measures that have been brought in place across Canada and the rate at which they they uh, change. And so these are actually serious charges. These are not public health charges. Where do you get the sense that this will go for this uh, this this young man? Because if if he does get a conviction on them, uh, you know, he he very much believes he's standing up for what is right. And you know, I I tip my hat at him because I do think, on principle, he he should be able to stand up for what's right. But these are serious criminal charges. What you should do if you're charged with violating a public health order. Um, is accept the ticket and fight the ticket 
in court. Uh, you should not re- ever re- resist arrest because that will lead to criminal charges. He was previously just going to be charged um, under the public health laws with a with a ticket, which is a regulatory offense. He's now being charged with criminal offenses, which is much more serious and will give him a record. So um, mm-hmm. if, if you're ever charged with a ticket or violating a public health order, speak respectfully to police officers, accept the ticket, and you can challenge the ticket later in court. That's the, that's the right way to do it. I'm not letting the police off the hook here. They did not need to behave the way they did. This guy wasn't going anywhere. He was on the ice wearing skates. They could have just waited him out, issued the ticket, everyone gone home, no criminal charges or, or violent encounter the way we saw. Yeah, this is one of those let common sense prevail in a time where common sense doesn't even seem to exist in this country. It's very uh, unfortunate that has come to this. But you and you and me, we will be talking a lot in the next little while because I have a feeling this is going to become a daily uh, occurrence in this country. And that is what uh, what is most unfortunate about it. Christine, um, thank you very much. And we'll chat again. Thank you for having me on. Christine Van Gein joining us now. So there's your advice. Um, I know it's hard and you probably want to scream and shout, but take it, lump it, get a good lawyer, fight it. Uh, because what's going to happen to this young man is really, really unfortunate. But uh, certainly, I totally get what he uh, is standing up for because it is appalling. Make no mistake, thousands of lives are at stake right now. If we fail to take action now, the consequences could be catastrophic. And as Premier, it's my duty to act. As Premier, it falls on me to make the difficult but necessary decisions. All right, so Premier Ford automatically being the party pooper of the season, telling us we're going into a provincial lockdown on December 26th. And I was reading a commission report by the Association for Canadian Studies that suggests 70% of us are somewhat optimistic about 2021. And I want to know what they are smoking. Because after what we learned today, whatever optimism I had is kind of gone because what seems clear is that those in charge are making this up as they go along and now just kind of throwing jello at the wall, hoping something sticks and not really giving any second thought to the destruction caused along the way. Because yes, a vaccine's coming, but we are so far from getting it. We could be living with these destructive lockdown measures and restrictions until at least next September, assuming these vaccines actually start long term and we actually get herd immunity. And if all we've got are these lockdown measures, they're not going to stop the cases, but they will crush our lives, businesses, and our civil liberties. Alex Vesna is with Prepared Canada Corp and has a graduate degree in disaster and emergency management. Good to have you, Alex. Uh, Good to be here. All right. So the situation we are told is so dire that we're going to start this lockdown five days from now. Does that make sense to you? Uh, kind of, um, to be honest, right? Uh, because this is an Ontario-wide rollout and um, because uh, the Premier is obviously managing the impacts on businesses. And as was stated um, in the in the press conference, there's the issue with food inventory for restaurants and him not wanting to really put the restaurants any further under than they already are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I heard that justification and, you know, um, trying to manage the, 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 the whole thing, not just health on its own, I think, you know, is a, that's a reasonable justification. Um, you know, I can disagree with myself on plenty of things here, but when I hear that, I go, yeah, okay. Um, obviously, from the perspective that this thing should be uh, 
uh, lockdown as soon as possible. It would be great if it was yesterday, but I mean, it's it's not very good to uh, say, you know, oops, it's happening right now. By the way, all of your food inventory is garbage, right? And you can't really do that to, to restaurants. You give them some warning. Okay. And so that that, that was the, the um, reason he gave. And so five days from now, um, we shut down. But a lot, of, a lot of people will take this as a signal that, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be able to go and see my family and will quietly do so. And what's stopping them? There's no curfew measures going in. Um, if it doesn't start till the 26th, I think a lot of people will look at this and say, we're good to go. No, and, and yeah, and they've explicit. They've been explicit about that too. Um, one thing, actually, if uh, if people feel like watching the whole uh, forty-four minute video um, that uh, Global News put up on uh, on YouTube for the press conference, uh, you can actually see the responses to a lot of this uh, that the government's government's given, which I think is which I think are interesting. Um, the uh, one of them uh, in particular, there, there's two. There's two actually. I think about the first um, from the uh, CEO of William Osler at about twenty-eight minutes in. Um, mm-hmm. Talks about how uh, the reality is that unless everyone bands together and uh, you know uh, basically agrees to do this without coercion, uh, we're not getting out of this. And if you uh, read in with that, with what was said um, by the premier previously, it is fairly evident that um, the understanding is that while this is apparently a one-time deal, um, the government doesn't want to uh, have to go to Australia where they're not saying they're not willing to, but they're not saying they're not not willing to. So it's a fairly gilded, um, please behave or else, um, which it's not explicit, but if you read between the lines here is said explicitly enough, um, <laughs> which I'm sure you can, uh, ha- you'll have tons of opinions on um, that piece. So that's the two things that I really got out of uh, this announcement that I think people who uh um, are of, of the opinion that this is completely unacceptable, should really read into, because, you know, you, you know my opinion on this. I don't think it goes far enough, and that, frankly, um, if you're not going to go far enough, it's counterproductive, because people are going to go see their families, and, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have the measures in place. So if you're not going to go far enough, why go this far at all, Right. <clears throat> Yeah, and there there are areas that should be targeted, and so it, it seems pretty clear that the, the data shows we have spread happening in the big warehouses or industrial plants between workers, yet it's the businesses that are being absolutely decimated, destroyed, and then you look to the airport situation and the border crossings. I mean, there were 63,000 people, international travelers, that came through unchecked at the airport just last week alone. We've got millions of essential workers crossing unchecked. This is all federal jurisdiction, and I don't know why we don't hear the medical community demanding more action on this. The Ford government got fairly angry about this today, saying they've been asking for months for these borders to have more controls in whether it's tracing, testing, proper quarantining, uh, put some teeth in it. And and for whatever reason, the federal government will not budge on this. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, And one of the the biggest reasons why, to be honest, is that uh, it's not believed to be possible uh, we have too many border crossings, and we don't have um, enough enforcement capability. Um, there's serious issues there, but uh, there are some, there were some issues raised by the provincial government today uh, as to um, why we're not having follow-up with people, why there isn't, uh, why everyone's not getting tested at the airport. Uh, there are some there are some asks that uh, the provincial government put forward today that uh, I think were very very reasonable. Um, it was also said 
that uh, the, the belief was uh, that, that if the federal government doesn't do it, we will, we being the provincial government. Um, mm-hmm. And I, uh, I question whether that is logistically possible. But um, in, in any case, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, quite the, it's quite the complex issue here, which and the complexity itself doesn't seem to be being addressed. Uh, one thing also from this piece that I thought was very interesting was for one of the first times in the pandemic, uh, a health official came forward and basically said, our purview is a very narrow purview and we don't really look at the other elements. You know, we focus on health and we, and we don't really focus on the economy and people need to appreciate the fact <laughs> we don't appreciate the other stuff because we're going to tell you what, you know, you don't ask your doctor for accounting data. Although it appears that the doctors are being put in a position where they have to make economic decisions, which seems unwise. Which I'm sure how, how can you call yourself a health official if you don't measure other health uh, effects that the policies you create cause? How can they ignore the mental health crisis that we are um, you know, seeing, the escalation in suicides, anxiety, um, you know, the financial ruin? How can that not be part of the decision-making? This, is, this makes absolutely no sense. They're, they're trying to monitor one health crisis, but they're creating a whole other because of their policies. They're too specialized. In general, doctors hyper-specialize, and the, the more experienced they get in most cases, the, the more narrow their view becomes. Uh, and this is, and it's not really even an open secret, it's widely known within medicine. And doctors are not trained and are, don't have a background in, um, you know, changing hearts and minds. You know, you, you ask about, or not you, but people in general ask mm-hmm. about why, uh, you know, why people aren't following doctors' guidelines and why it seems like this is so simple, why can't they do it? People haven't listened to their doctor on basic diet, exercise, and water intake and sleep. How are they going to figure out how to not socialize for a year? It's not like right. it's not like obesity and diabetes doesn't exist as far as heart risk is concerned, right? The, like compare the ease of the ask here. Doctors have been asking forever for people to you know drink more water. How how many Canadians actually drink enough water? Now you're going to ask them to never see their family for a year? <laughs> Come on. Right. Doctors aren't good at this. It technically, really, from a disaster management point of view, this is a medical hazard, but a political disaster. And people in disaster management will understand what that means and the implications of that. But, um, but the effect is the metric, the way that this, uh, this, this pandemic is unfolding, it's not unfolding through a medical lens. It's unfolding through a hearts and minds political lens. And uniquely, for one of the first times that you can imagine in, uh, in, in modern history, uh, we find that some of the best-suited people to make the decisions on this are actually supposed to be politicians or emergency managers supporting politicians, either one. But uh, right. politicians, because they are supposed to look at the whole chessboard, not just one piece on it. Right. And but that's why we're seeing, I think, a split in the medical community where you've got growing numbers of doctors now coming forward saying, look, this is not we have with these lockdowns are more destructive and we're not actually making good policy decisions. Uh, but the loudest doctors uh, are, are getting all the airtime. Well, yeah, but I mean, you talk to you talk to uh, three different doctors that have a complex patient with three different con- conditions that uh, where the, uh, the, the things they're going to recommend um, don't agree with each other. And you're going to have three different opinions that may disagree. 
uh, if you if you don't have a, a way for the doctors to get together and to come to a consensus, they're just going to disagree very loudly. I'm sure um, you yourself and many people in your life have had uh, have sought a second opinion from a doctor, even in the same specialization, and they've disagreed with one of their colleagues. Sure. Right. So I mean, we're talking about that's the same specialization here. This is a highly complex issue in fields that they have, in many cases, no background in, which is fair, right? You're, you're, you go to school for well over a decade for many of these specializations, and you're, not, and you're not a professional economist. And they don't claim to be, but they're being forced into positions where they basically have to make economic decisions. Right. But, but right. we know health officials will always worry most about just the health side of it. But what of they are ignoring very much is the health of the economy. And with the health of the economy goes the health of very real people who are being just destroyed by, you know, this one lens approach. Well, I appreciate your input into this. I'm probably going to call again on you sooner than later because these policies are coming at us fast and furious. And a lot of it, it just doesn't seem to make much sense. How much more do I? How much more time do I got? None. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, next time. Please. I already know we're screwed, Alex. You yeah, already told us that, but you know, it's a, uh, it's just that there's so many questions and never enough of time uh, to answer them. So yeah. I will definitely have you on again. Thank you, Alex Vesna, joining us again here. It's like this strategy of uh, throw Jello at the wall, see what sticks. Nothing does, and so we just keep trying and trying again. Uh, By the way, if you miss the show, you can download it. Go to 640 Toronto, search On Point in your favorite podcast app, and you should find it. All right, it is time to dig between the headlines where we get all those little juicy nuggets, political nuggets they are, that don't generally get all the attention, but they should because they actually do really matter to you. And of course, no one's doing it better these days than those at Black Locks Reporting, which by the way, if you are looking for a stocking stuffer for the person who loves politics, this is a great one to give. Uh, but let me bring in Tom Korski, who's the managing editor over there, who's got the big shovel. Good to have you, Tom. Thank you, Alex. Um, you know, this new carbon tax, which of course comes in at the same time as a clean fuel tax, this is not getting discussed at all. And I don't understand it because it actually has huge um, sweeping implications for those who are you know, single mothers, seniors, those who probably can least afford it. But it's going to be at least 50 cents to things like heating fuel, gas in your tank. But it is a big, big fee, and it's not getting any attention. Why? Clean fuel standard, excellent question. Uh, Really, almost a rhetorical question. I don't know the answer. Clean fuel standard, the industry and the consumer advocates have been panting to see the text of these regulations for two years since they were first proposed. And when you look at them, they're just out now, just before Christmas, and you do the calculation, consumer advocates have done it. It comes to, in combination with a carbon tax, clean fuel regulations, comes to a combined addition of 50 cents to a liter of gasoline, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of money. It's staggering. Not only that, the Department of Environment, in a legal notice in which they detail the text of the regulations, used a phrase I've never seen before, energy poverty, quote, Mm -hmm. unquote, in a country that is self-sufficient in energy. How many countries, Alex, in the history of the world mm-hmm. are self-sufficient in energy? Canada is. We have been since Confederation. They predict energy poverty for uh, pensioners, single moms, and say that the hardest hit will include middle-income families 
who will pay 50 cents more for a liter of gasoline on these two programs alone by 2030. Yeah, I'm not sure why. I mean, other than the fact that COVID sucks up all the the oxygen in everything right now. I mean, and, and I'm 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 sure that that's why they've announced it now, and they did so on a Friday afternoon, right before the holidays. Is because the 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 goal of that always in politics is to make it go away. Don't let it get into the news cycle. People are distracted. It won't get noticed. But this is a very, very expensive policy, if not dangerous, at a time when we're heading in for a very dark and steep recession, when people are being brought to their knees. But this is something that should be questioned because it's coming from the same policy people behind Dalton McGuinty, who brought in the Green Energy Act, which caused such poverty in um, uh, Ontario as as far as hydro and energy prices are concerned. Um, we know what it's done in this province, and, and the only way we're not feeling it as harshly is because we've had to and will forevermore have to subsidize our way out of it. Well, the effect is devastating. I mean, even by the federal estimate, the clean fuel regulations alone are worth $93 billion a year, billion with a B. And these are unavoidable costs. You know, you can't heat your house with geothermal in Ontario. I once asked a man who tried, and it turns out (laughs) Ontario is actually subarctic. Did you know it gets pretty cold in the winter? A little nippy, yep. He, he had a home in uh, Peterborough, in uh, you know, in that district, and he had to get uh, space heaters in his home and was wearing a lot of sweaters. That's geothermal. So the California clean climate change program model doesn't work in a subarctic climate, where people, of course, have to drive. Most Canadians, most Ontarians, are suburbanites. Their entire life is modeled on fuel consumption. Mm -hmm. It's unavoidable if you want to work, eat, live, and heat your home. 50 cents more a liter is devastating. I think it has election 2021 written all over it, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, And this goes along with something that kind of flew under the radar where they want Canadians out of gas-fueled cars by, I think the date was 2030. And I'm wondering, well, are they overhauling our whole electricity grid that I didn't know about? Because if they want everyone to turn to electric cars, that's a lot of plugging in. And Calgary and Alberta and, and places like Saskatchewan are, are used to plugging in. But we don't even have an infrastructure for a grid in this country uh, to, to, to be able to fulfill that of having every car plugged in. So there's all sorts of other costs to this that we haven't been told about in order for them to achieve this green. It's not even a fantasy. They're living in la la land. If people wanted a $45,000 Tesla, though, they would just buy them. I, I, I mean, I'm not a policy analyst for the climate change secretariat. I know that Henry Ford didn't sell a bunch of Model Ts by getting rebates and a lot of federal subsidies on uh, purchase and then installation of infrastructure, he sold them because people wanted them. People don't want $45,000 Teslas because they can get a minivan for half the price. That's why they have a rebate program. So there's a lot of government interference in the marketplace. You say, well, that's fine. You know, uh, we're not freebooting capitalists. There's government interference and regulation all the time. But what's the end game? Alex, exactly that. If gas is going to 50 cents a liter, okay, I guess we're eating a lot of spaghetti at my house. And then what? Well, where are you boiling the Uh, water? 
Exactly. What am I supposed to do for home heating? How am I supposed to get to work? So 14 million Ontarians will get to ask themselves that question in 2030 under the program. You know, they always wanted a climate change election, only a real climate change election, not a fake one. And I think they're going to get one. And that's the ballot question. Do you want to care about the climate if it means another 50 cents a litre? That's the question. Well, you know, they've guilted everyone into thinking that this is the existential threat that's going to wipe out the planet and wipe us all out, that I don't think people feel they should be asking questions. They should just go along. It's just that by the time people go along, it's gonna be, everyone's going to be broke. It's, it's wiping somebody out. I don't know about butterflies in the Amazon, but, but I can think of a lot of commuters who are going to get wiped out. Jeez, yeah, single moms get in line first. All right, Tom, we'll chat with you again before the holidays, and I thank you for at least uh, keeping your eye on this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Tom Korski joining us with uh, Blacklock's reporting. Again, subscription-based, but they get the goods. It's an important read and uh, worth every single penny. You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday, 6.30 sharp here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.